made for autistic people, parents and carers of kids on the autism spectrum. This is a different brilliant with Orion Kelly. No two autistic people are the same. Open conversations that inform and engage world's better place for autistic An aspect people. podcast focusing on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. Welcome to a different brilliant. Hi and welcome along to A Different Brilliant. I'm your host, Orion Kelly. I'm autistic and my purpose is to inspire, inform and entertain you through focusing on the strengths, interests and aspirations of the autistic community. A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly. Now on this episode, we explore the topic of autism and mental health. My guest is Caitlin Jeremy, a registered psychologist with Aspect Therapy. Caitlin, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Orion. Now, I want to talk about a lot of things in this in this podcast, but I guess we better lay some groundwork. I think the first thing to do is oh, let's talk about comorbidities. Now, this is interesting because we always talk about language in the autistic community. And I always just openly say, you know, hey, I'm Orion. I've got comorbidities of GAD and social anxiety disorder. And it doesn't occur to me that, that is a good or bad word. My question is, what are comorbidities? And obviously, I want you to explain those because a lot of people coming to this might not have even thought about that before. But it's also an interesting conversation around the language of it. Absolutely. I mean, we were just saying that the word comorbidity, I suppose, is by definition it just means that there's two disorders present simultaneously and that implies autism I suppose is a disorder which I think is something that the autistic community from my understanding is kind of moving away from and that's a challenging because you're right lots of people do use the word comorbidity when they're describing their experiences with neurodiversity and mental health difficulties and it's a genuinely great point it never occurred to me I t- and you are 100% right we are definitely moving away from the idea that it's a disorder it's obviously it's a medically diagnosed knows disability that's just factual Mm, mm. but the fact is that it's a difference it's a different brain so you're absolutely right and you've brought something up that that never occurred to me so well done good good for you and I I totally agree (laughs) I totally agree with what you're saying let's just say for the purpose of this discussion Caitlin you've brought up a point I think it's amazing but we'll just put that to the side on the premise that we're not we don't find this offensive and we'll just go from there so let's just for the people listening who have no idea just give us a quick what are comorbidities so comorbidities are um disorders that occur at the same time or are likely to occur at the same time and any two psychological disorders that can be comorbid but there are disorders that are more likely to appear together things like anxiety and depression or anxiety and OCD things like that yeah and I hear a lot in autistic people too about like ADHD and those kind of things so it's really interesting there's, for sure there's so Absolutely. many of them and I guess a lot of people don't know of the whole range of them but let's talk about the commonalities so do you think in your experience there are particular comorbidities that are, are common amongst autistic people i guess we know that for me it's anxiety but what are they in general terms what are the what are the comorbidities you find are common amongst autistic people i think absolutely anxiety is something that i mean statistically but also anecdotally is really common in in autistic people as is 
depression or low mood. Oh, sleep wake disorders are also really common in autistic people. I think anxiety, depression, and yeah, sleep wake disorders are really common. There are also more discussion now around eating disorders being more present, especially in autistic women, some more mood disorders. But I think definitely anxiety and depression are really, really commonly experienced in the autistic population. And certainly that's anecdotal, but also there's lots of research that tells us that those things are more likely in autistic people. You've just sparked something in me that isn't a question coming up, the the connection with women or girls and eating disorders. That's uh, quite fascinating because I guess a lot of girls early in their childhood are misdiagnosed as not autistic and given things like ADHD and eating disorders and these types of things and then can go 10, 20, 30 years still feeling out of place or wrong or broken. And so this is this is really interesting. In a way, what you're saying is there's clearly a gender difference in comorbidities. These women that have grown up into adulthood, they were part of a process in the medical field, I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, where it was very focused on potentially maybe what, more masculine comorbidities? I'm not sure. Just I'm fascinated by that. That's really that's really interesting. Yeah. I think our understanding is we're very early on in understanding the differences between the mental health experiences definitely of of autistic people as compared to neurotypical people. And it shows the struggle that undiagnosed autistic women must go through. All right, so let's talk about the autistic community. Now, like we've talked about depression and anxiety, do you have any ideas? I mean, it could be just your own thoughts and experiences or statistics or reports. or Why are some people on the autism spectrum more likely to experience anxiety or depression as a comorbidity to being autistic than say compared to neurotypical peers? I think so many reasons, honestly, and definitely there is really good research that tries to explain why that might happen. But I think really broadly, we know that mental health difficulties or disorders specifically amongst other things a really key predictor of mental health difficulties is stress and life stress or elevated life stress. And certainly there are certain autistic experiences as an autistic person living in a neuro, a world made for neurotypical people that makes that more stressful. I suppose ultimately the brain style of, of autistic people are different to that of neurotypical people. And like I say, we're living in a neurotypical world. And at times society tells us there's something wrong with being autistic or just being different. You know, difference is something that is rejected. That leads to so many challenges for autistic people. We've kind of been told that we have to fit into this mold, I suppose, of being human in order to function like there's one way to learn and there's one way to make money and there's one way to interact socially and there's just one way to do everything that's obviously not true but absolutely it impacts you know how autistic people understand themselves and how they understand their world around them in the context of a world that wasn't designed for a brain like theirs so then in the context of that of course there's a bullying I suppose is is really commonly experienced in the autistic population and again like lots of Bullies sit on this premise that being different is bad and that leads to lots of social isolation, rejection. Lots of autistic people can relate to being rejected or being so isolated socially at school, in the workplace. Yeah, and what's really interesting is with the, you bring up bullying. It's a great point. From my point of view, I mean, I can remember it as a child, but as you go through stages, it does change. Like in primary school, it seemed like the people that bullied me the most were girls and then in, in high school, it was probably more boys and then in the workplace it may have switched back to a bit of both because the type of bullying in the workplace isn't so much about 
the kind of bullying you'd expect in the schoolyard. It's more subtle as in totally. y- your behaviour is different. It makes me feel uncomfortable, so I should just report that to HR, right? It's, and it's like, hang on a second, what? I didn't even do anything wrong. I was just different. The bullying becomes more subtle and sophisticated, but it doesn't affect you any less. In fact, it can have a detrimental effect on employment and your ability to get other jobs because they want to talk to people from the last job and the last job. And I think that's another one of the reasons why anxiety and depression can be more than neurotypical peers, because like you say, they're bullying or just a lack of acceptance by the, by the neurotypical world feeds into that as well. I mean, I agree with what you just said, but I just want to make it really clear that I wasn't saying that a difference in brain style is, has anything to do with mental health, like a higher likelihood of experiencing mental health, but just that feeling different and being different to other people. Even the word different, when you first say that, it's like, oh, should we really say that? But ultimately that's true of autistic people. But just that society makes people who are different feel like there's something wrong with them. And of course that's not true, but that isolation and rejection and that kind of process, that's what results in mental health difficulties, not the difference. I totally understand where you're coming from. Maybe we can start to provide, I guess, some sort of insight or some sort of what to do for parents, for carers, for family members, and you know, potentially even for partners of autistic people. So let's talk about some of the signs. Okay, so there's a person on the autism spectrum in your life, let's say they, they might be your child or you might care for them, might be your partner or whatever. So they're experiencing mental illness or, or mental health problems. We're, we're talking about signs to look out for what should they be looking out for the kind of signs with mental health illness and these types of issues and also what can they do i think there's so many things really that could indicate poor mental health in anyone and definitely in autistic people there's definitely a difference between experiencing poor mental health everyone will go through times in their life where they experience some kind of poor mental health and that's different from having clinically significant or clinical mental health diagnosed mental health disorder. But in broadly speaking, things that might be observable to other people when noticing changes in the people who we care for, who people we love might be things like maybe they're not doing the activities that they normally do, the things we know they enjoy doing, they seem more anxious or more sad, changes with sleeping patterns or changes with ability to sleep changes in appetite, withdrawing socially, oftentimes things that carers would worry about or things that we worry about in ourselves when we notice those kinds of changes. And those are all things that might indicate some kind of mental health difficulty and something to look out for, I suppose, in terms of where to go for help. If you're concerned about someone who you know in terms of their mental health, absolutely like reaching out for help is so important. And sometimes it's hard to know where to go though. And for most people, visiting a GP would be really important. Oftentimes, GPs can put you in contact with a psychologist. I think finding a psychologist who has knowledge of autism is really important or who has experience working with autistic people. And sometimes a GP is a really good place to start in finding that. Yeah, I think just seeking support as much as we can. Certainly, if if you're noticing more severe indicators of mental health difficulties, Things like risky behaviour, maybe drinking lots or making decisions that put that person at risk, talking about not wanting to be around anymore or really like clear comments around suicidal thoughts or not wanting to be around anymore. That's a really important time to seek help. And so definitely going to a GP if you're noticing those things, but also there's lots of professional support, I suppose, available. And I think in my experience, parents and carers can overthink it or partners can overthink it and go, well, hang on, my autistic child or my autistic partner, a lot of times they can erratically behave and and do like 
you know, dangerous things or, you know, act weird or say weird things. And that's just them. And then to that, I would say, well, so what's the worst that can happen? You, you know, you, you encourage them to go to a GP and to talk to a, a psychologist or a pediatrician or whatever. What's the worst that can happen? Don't let that be your barrier. Because I think some of the things that you talk about as signs, I completely agree. And I think a lot of times we can go, oh no, like my, you know, my autistic son, no, my, he's always doing things where like, mate, if you do that, you could die. Stop doing that. Maybe he just needs to speak to someone. You know, we don't know what's going on in his mind. So I think encouraging the conversation, even if it ends up being not especially relevant, is super important because I feel like I'm in a pretty good place at the moment, but I still talk to my psychologist every couple of weeks because it's important to me to maintain a conversation, to maintain my well-being and my mental health. I'm always of the opinion now where I think potentially some sort of mental health maintenance, like seeing a, a psychologist, is critical for your whole life. Absolutely. I am a psychologist, I suppose, so I may be a little bit biased, but I think everyone should see a psychologist. There's, I don't know, you're right. Like, what's the worst case scenario that you go and the psychologist says, oh, I think they're okay. All right, so as a psychologist, I'm sure you have got used to an entirely new way of, of reaching out to your clients. And within the COVID pandemic, we've all started to come to grips with a thing we like to call telehealth. Now, as COVID continues into its third year, what supports, this is something that I think is really important for people listening. What supports have you found? Because I reckon you've probably been telling people about things for a couple of years now. So you've probably got to the point where you probably know exactly the kind of stuff from feedback that, that helps and doesn't. Let's talk about supports we can put in place, not only for ourselves, but for the autistic people in our life uh, moving forward as we continue into this third year. And, and I guess it doesn't even matter, does it, if, if it all blows over. But what do you find are the key supports that work and that we can put into practice? I suppose for autistic people specifically, I mean, not everything is going to work for everyone, but there's definitely things that we know, like you say, are more likely to work. And so things like caring for your body, like exercise, eating well, doing things we enjoy that are likely to bring us some kind of pleasant feeling, spending time outdoors, making sure we're connecting with other people. Of course, as you say, COVID challenged our preconceived understanding of how we can connect with people. We usually, I mean, we certainly used to do that lots in person and, and that changed and that's created a whole awareness of connecting more online, connecting more on the phone. All these kinds of things mean that we can connect with other people and we can do it from really far away now. I think that's one really wonderful thing that's come from COVID is that we can connect with people more so than we used to or we, we're more likely to be connecting with people who we maybe didn't use to connect with so much because we're so becoming so familiar with using these online kind of platforms that allow connection from far away. Things like taking time for yourself, having some routine is really, really helpful. I think especially for autistic people and that doesn't have to be like a big routine, but just finding comfort in routine, things like that. I totally agree. I think, you know, just saying simple things like, Fresh air, sun. That's it, mate. Just that's it. Write it down. Do it. Fresh air, sun. You're done. You're safe. You've, that's the routine. I mean, in the end, it's not rocket science, is it? It's about yeah. making sure you're caring for yourself. I totally agree. Now, this last question, I apologise. I think it's loaded. The answer is the question, but I'd love to get your perspective. Okay, so masking camouflaging for autistic people is basically the act of suppressing our true selves so we can fit in, so we can make neurotypical people feel comfortable. And I guess not stand out. Okay, so. What part do you think that plays, that masking plays in, in loss of identity in autistic people's experiences and therefore it provides 
like you say, those diagnoses of anxiety and depression? In other words, do you think masking actually can cause depression and anxiety in autistic people? I do. I think you probably honestly just answered the question yourself. Your description of why you mask is around suppressing yourself, feeling like you have to suppress yourself, feeling like you have to be someone else, feeling like you can't be yourself if you're going to socialise with people. If someone else is going to like you, then you can't be yourself. That creates really damaging self-concept and absolutely our self-concept our understanding of ourselves our understanding about ourselves in our context is so impactful do you think it's fair that let's say a neurotypical person said to me whatever orion i'm a neurotypical person i'm I'm not autistic and i don't get to be myself i've got to suppress my true self to make people feel comfortable and and good so like shut up what's your problem is that is that a fair enough thing to say no, I don't, I don't think that's a fair thing to say. I think that probably someone who says that might not have a really good understanding of the autistic experience, I would say. I hope that interaction hasn't occurred, but if it has, I feel that maybe that person hasn't. Every day, Caitlin, that. every day. That, that happens every day. If you, if you say I'm an autistic person and I mask so I can fit in, every day a neurotypical person will go, yeah, whatever, mate. Everyone does that. That's what they say in the office, in the workplace, in social situations. Everyone masks they can fit in. So what are you talking about, autistic guy? Go away. That's, that's a de facto, Caitlin. That happens every day. Like there's a difference between feeling like you're going to talk about something specific to fit in or you're going to talk about your experiences in a different way to fit in. That is so completely different from changing the way that you interact with people. These things are things neurotypical people don't think about is how much eye contact do I have to make? How am I going to say? How am I going to like use the nonverbal indicators? Like there's so much more to conversation and interaction than just what you say. And for lots of autistic people, that is constantly being monitored. That is exhausting. Exhaustion in itself is likely to cause mental health difficulties, quite aside from the fact that doing those masking kinds of behaviours are, there's a reason that they're happening. And the reason that they're happening is because autistic people have come to feel like there's something wrong with them. Yeah. And like this person in the workplace can be fake all day, but then go out and party all night, right? But I'm stuffed on the couch. Hmm. I can't can't move, right? Because I'm exhausted. There's a difference. Hmm. (laughs) Hey, Caitlin, this has been a great chat. I've really enjoyed it. I have also really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. It's my absolute pleasure. And I also appreciate the extra guest, your amazing dog in the background from time (laughs) to time. What a guest. Fantastic input too. So pass on my uh, appreciation. But seriously though, Caitlin, thank you so much uh, for joining us on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. My guest on this episode was Caitlin Jeremy, a registered psychologist with Aspect Therapy. Thank you so much for listening. Now, if this episode has caused you concern or distress, we encourage you to speak with your doctor or call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or Beyond Blue on 1300 224636. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. You're also welcome to stop by my website and send me a message, orionkelly.com.au. A Different Brilliant is an Aspect podcast. Executive producers are Lisa Cassidy, Dr. Tom Tutton, and Julie Fenwick. I'm Orion Kelly. Thanks for listening to A Different Brilliant with Orion Kelly, an Aspect podcast on the strengths, interests, and aspirations of the autistic community. Our door is open anytime, so like the Aspect page on Facebook or visit autismspectrum.org.au. My aim, make the world a better place for autistic people.